welcome to this special episode of The Voice of Insurance, produced in association with ISI. Wow. Wow is not a word we use very much in insurance. But this special episode is full of moments where the perfectly logical response is to say, wow. For instance, did you know the insurance industry had a fast-growing fleet of private satellites at its disposal, capable of giving 100% global coverage? Wow. Did you know those satellites can see in the dark and through cloud, smoke and dust? Wow. Did you know they orbit the Earth multiple times a day, giving you near real-time information, and they can also make incredibly accurate measurements down to the millimetre? Wow. Did you know that the physical and intellectual property behind this network has been developed and is owned by ISI itself? Wow. Over the past couple of decades, we've become used to applying satellite imagery in property insurance. We also knew that satellite technology had come a long way because of miniaturisation and a massive reduction in cost. But until now, I don't think we'd realised quite how far things have progressed and what possibilities this could open up for the insurance sector. Today, I'm talking to Global Head of Insurance, Stephen Lathrope, about microsatellite data and insurance insights and solutions business, ISI, and its plans for the industry. A few minutes into our chat, and it's clear that the applications for this new tech are almost limitless. And ISI has only just begun scratching the surface of what is possible. Persistent monitoring of static objects is one clear application, and the use cases for flood and many parametric covers also stand out. Windstorm, wildfire, hail and tsunami are also on the list. But it quickly emerges that it's the blending of ISI's extraordinary satellite data with other data sources, forecasts, maps and models that is going to add the most value. And that's where you come in. It's fairly obvious from a listen that I really enjoyed my time chatting to Stephen. So I think you should listen to the podcast just for the sheer pleasure of it and let some of the wow moments sink in. Then in time, let all the ideas for new products percolate up to the surface and get in touch with iSight and tell them how you would use their technology. Because the final link in the chain is the insurance industry itself. Enjoy the podcast. Stephen, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm sure you get tired of doing this, but iSci is a relatively new company. So do you mind giving me an introduction to iSci? Absolutely not. It is a relatively new company in the context of its insurance solutions. It's actually a company that was founded in 2014. So the core technologies that sit behind what we're doing in insurance today have been maturing over a few years. It's a technology company that has created some unique core space technology which we've been applying over the last few years to the insurance industry specifically. So at its heart, what we have is what is called synthetic aperture radar technology, which we managed to miniaturize a number of years ago. And I'll come back to that word miniaturize a few times because that's what makes it different. And of course, you're bound to have abbreviated that to SAR, or is it SAR? Yes. Well, SAR or SAR. I mean, SAR is easier to say. They're both significantly easier than synthetic aperture radar. So let's go with SAR. Just to give us a rough size of this business, I'm sure that's a moving target because you're growing very quickly. It is a moving target. So in terms of headcount, we're about 400 now. That's doubled in the last two years. Very international company. I mean, the original founder set the business up in the greater Helsinki area. That's still HQ. But we have over 50 nationalities represented in those 400 people. We have seven offices around the world and growing. So very international. 
and rapidly growing, as you say. And so what's the core product offering when you're talking about insurance? I think really to talk about the insurance application, Mark, I ought to take a step back and talk a little bit about the technology, because one of the challenges that ISI has engaging with the insurance industry is the industry, many of your subscribers to the Voice of Insurance will have used imagery from space for many years. You know, optical imagery, you can see a storm, you can see the clouds. And sort of looking at roof types. Yeah, looking at roof types, that kind of thing. But I guess just to talk a little about the underlying technology. So we have miniaturized SAR, and I'm sure I'll describe that further to you. But essentially, what used to be only transportable into space on the back of a satellite that was the size of a four-bedroomed house, we've now got down to something which looks a lot more like a domestic refrigerator. And that sort of miniaturization of the radar and of the satellite means kind of obviously that they're cheaper to make, they're cheaper to launch, which is pivotally important, and it's enabled us to get the largest constellation of these satellites up there buzzing around the planet. And that constellation is key here because an image from a satellite at a point in time might be interesting, but the insurance applications that we are working with our customers with now are enabled by the ability to see the whole of the planet a number of times a day and to measure with a previously unachievable level of completeness, accuracy, and timeliness what's happening on the planet's surface. So that underlying technology is really important. So as before, you'd have to wait for the satellite to come round again, and it's probably someone else's satellite, and maybe they want to point it somewhere else. Exactly. So those big traditional satellites, brilliant as they were, multi-hundreds of millions, billions of investment were multi-purpose, used for all sorts of different things, and you had to buy your image. We have, just to your point about they might be somewhere, they might be passing, the 16 satellites that we have in orbit currently pass the whole of the planet within their view a number of times a day. And they don't just pass, I mean, they whiz round. They're orbiting in about an hour and a half. They're moving very quickly around this planet and providing a huge amount of coverage and streaming a huge amount of data back to Earth. So that's the core insurance applications that you can see the change in something And we're talking about what kind of things you can see the change in. You can see it relatively quickly. Yes. I mean, the technology I've described can see change. So we can see, for example, with catastrophes, we can see the hazard. We can see water levels changing and we can see the damage. But I guess just being able to stream the data back to Earth is only really part of the story. Because there's so much data in a large event, if we're talking about catastrophe, then you can only really make sense of that if you can couple it with fairly advanced analytics that enable you to turn all of that data together with all the other data you need, like information about the terrain on which the catastrophe is taking place and other data to enrich, and then turn that into what we call actionable insights. So all of that needs to happen before you start to get to individual use cases for the industry. And we're exploring a very wide range of those and actively serving in them. You don't just see yourself as being a satellite company. You're going to blend those other bits and give something really useful. Absolutely. So, you know, we are a satellite company, but for the insurance industry, we are an insight provider and we are a solutions provider. So just to illustrate that a little bit, if I may, for flood catastrophe, you know, it's great that we can see a flood happening and it's great that we can assemble a load of data and pass that to a customer. But from that capability, we've wrapped it with a load of other important capabilities that provide a solution. So we have meteorologists on the payroll. All day, every day, somebody is monitoring the weather. 
we worked with our analytics team to create a weather forecasting platform. It drags in forecast data from whichever services. It combines it with geographic information and flood models. So we are monitoring the weather and we produce a daily report for our subscribers that says we think the following X flood events may occur over the next two to three days. We update that daily. Our customers then receive a report that says we think there's going to be a big one in northern Australia. And if it meets our threshold, then that's when the satellites get kicked into action. So we provision the satellites and we say, we would like you to start to capture images in the area that this flood may occur. And we build up those images over time. We then analyze that data and a load of other data, and that's key, to provide really clear information about the extent of water, the depth of water. And then we go beyond that, combine it with property information, and that's where the insurance starts. So there's a certain amount of informing the satellites and telling satellites to go where you think there's going to be a problem so you can really measure. They're not measuring all of that all of the time then? No, because they don't need to. There's another application which actually does involve measuring all the time, which we call persistent asset monitoring. So if you are insuring a large asset on the ground or you want to understand deformation of an asset, so if we take a dam, for example, we are capable of flying over the dam a number of times a day and measuring the dimensions of the structure and seeing where there may be movement. We can also measure around the dam and look at the ground level and see where there may be movement in the ground level and there may be subsidence. So that sort of monitoring of the asset does require continual observation. That's quite a different use case to a catastrophe where we see something coming and we want to collect as much information from as many of the satellites as frequently as possible for that specific use case. So they're quite different applications. But you can do both. We do both. Yeah, we absolutely do both. Let's, before we go on any further, let's just really level out the real core perils that you can really help the industry with. Because a lot of this is about measuring physical stuff. We're more obviously capable of supporting property lines business. From a peril perspective, we are hugely mature now around flood. We are doing lots of work around wildfire, around windstorm, around earthquake, around hail. Basically, anything that requires or benefits from the measurement either of the hazard or of the damage. So you can have the before and after. Exactly, before and after, and also kind of during. So it's a time series of measurement which then requires a lot of interpretation. And obviously, hailstone damage is a little bit harder than the complete decimation of an area through fire. So we're doing what we call R&D in some areas. Other areas, we have a complete live production service. Some absolutely irrefutable kind of evidence that someone could pay a claim out on pretty quickly. Yes, and of course, we can compare what we've measured as our experience increases, and we've measured hundreds of these events now. We can compare what we measured and analysed and reported against what has been measured on the ground through other sources. Obviously, you've got customers now. What sort of customers are they? Are going to be big global insurers, I presume? It's a real range, actually, of organisations, Mark. I mean, from different areas of participation in the industry. So one of the customers I spend a lot of my time with at the moment is Tokyo Marine. So to your point about big global insurers. Yeah, they're everywhere. They are everywhere. We have a very broad partnership across their business. They are actually an investor in ISI as well, which just adds to the partnership. I mean, I'm spending time working with their claims team in Japan on flood in particular. And because Tokyo Marine's mission is about being a good company, when they interpret that in claims around floods in Japan, what they want to do is 
understand an event as much as they can from the customer perspective. They want to be doing active communication with customers when an event is happening and immediately afterwards as well. They want to be using information about the clusters of affected properties to send the right resources out where required physically. They want to use the data to understand who's likely to have had the greatest damage stroke loss. They want to make payments automatically where that's appropriate. There are all sorts of applications with Tokyo Marine as an underwriter looking to do good in the communities that it serves. We work and have a long association with Swiss Re doing very clever stuff with our data in a number of areas. If you look at the latest Sigma report into flood, then you'll see some ISI analysis in an illustration there, which is great. We're enabling parametric products with the likes of Descartes. Yeah, who were on the show. Who were on the show, indeed. I listened with interest, yeah. Really interesting business. Lots going on there. And of course, what a parametric innovator needs is a kind of independent trigger that everybody can rely on and verify. And that's one of our strengths. So we're doing that as well. We're working with brokers. We're working with Aon in Japan, you know, bringing together the data that they have related to properties and buildings together with our data related to catastrophe events, seeing what we can do with that that will help their customers. Another sector again, insurance-linked securities. So Fermat is one of our customers as well. Yep. So kind of a different take. For cat bond. That yeah, kind of exactly, exactly. So we are very proud of the breadth and the depth of the customer base already and, and just how cross-sectoral it is. But my view, having knocked around the industry not quite as long as you have, is that we're scratching the surface at the moment. As the capability deepens, then there'll be greater use cases with direct insurers with all sorts. We could have a technical issue on, for example, I know these satellites, they can see through clouds and they can see in the dark, yes, can't they? Yes, Which is pretty amazing. But what sort of level of water difference can you see? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've picked out one of the advantages of synthetic aperture radar. We've, we're calling it SAR now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, that makes it different from the optical imagery that people are used to sort of seeing. I mean, it comes with some challenges because you can't just look at a SAR image with the naked eye or human brain and kind of interpret it quite so easily. So you do have to do some analytics to get the data out. So it's the computer does the synthesis it, it, the, part. The computer does some of the work for us. Yeah, absolutely. But to your point, I mean, the benefit of radar is it sees through the clouds. It doesn't need daylight. It can see through dust and it can see through smoke. So it is on all the time and can see all the time. So if I had a lake that was one metre deep, how much does it have to move up? Does the water level have to go up before you can see well, it? Well, so I'll talk in a minute, if I may, about your question around precision, because that, yeah. that's an interesting one. But in terms of measuring water depth across a large event. I mean, there are some significant challenges in that. Even if you can see the level of the water, of course, what you really need to be able to do is combine that with what's underneath yep. to know where there is flood or not flood before you can even assess the level of the water. So I talked about the analytical side of this being key. We see the water and then we combine that with digital terrain models, digital elevation models, to say, what did the ground look like? Which is why we start to collect the imagery just before the event where possible, because that means we can say, there's the ground and there's the water starting to rise. There's the water getting higher. There's the water getting higher again. So for ground at plus water, yep. there's a big analysis job to do there. You know, when you're talking hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of square kilometers of event, 
you mentioned water on water. That's another challenge. So yeah. you've got to have a pretty good hydrological model that tells you how much water was there in the first place. You know, how likely is a river to burst its banks, for example. Absolutely. So, you know, we can see what the banks look like. We can use historical information about previous floods and models to say, what do we think is going to happen? But what ISI can do uniquely is see the water building, see the banks being breached, see how much water is then the other side where it shouldn't be, and then see it dissipate afterwards. You're very well funded. You've raised 136 million Series D funding, which means you obviously had A, B and C before that and seed funding before that. So it's, it's more than $136 million over the years. What are you going to spend that money on? <laughs> Invest, I mean, not spend. Not yeah, that's it. So yeah, that was the fourth round, as you say, clues in the letter. But that brings us to $304 million in total. I mean, you know, you can describe some of the stuff that we've built and launched. So that requires some investment. So you're going to be launching more satellites? We are going to, yeah, we're launching satellites, I say all the time, but many satellites. So we launched seven last year. We launched two with SpaceX in the US in February. More will get launched over the course of the year. So there's a big focus on the continual innovation around the hardware and those assets and getting more of that into space. The Constellation is big enough now, as I've mentioned, to see the whole planet. But that persistent monitoring thing I mentioned, the more satellite capacity we have, the more assets that we can monitor. And that is going to be a real growth area for our business and one that needs funding. And that's hence the raise. I would say also it's about growing the team. I mentioned headcounts doubled. It's about investing in solutions for the insurance industry as well. So we are collaborating with our customers to say, here's what we can do. You're the clever insurance people. How would we best use that in your industry? So is it a core business aim of you to have a proprietary network? That's one of the core USPs of your business. Yeah. These are your satellites. They're not looking somewhere else. They're looking wherever you tell them to. Absolutely. So that ownership of the constellation is absolutely critical. I mean, to your point about proprietary, I mean, this is deeply proprietary. So we design the satellites. We design the radar. If you walk along the corridor in the office in Espoo in Helsinki, then you go through a couple of dividers and you are in an R&D facility a little bit further on than there are people bolting together satellites. And we build, you know, virtually almost all of the componentry is made from scratch as well. So there isn't very much in there that is anybody else's IP at all. You know, we rely on other people to build the rockets to launch them, but that's getting them up there. And then we control them. We use services to direct them, but it's our guys from a laptop in Helsinki or wherever who respond to the requests from our team to direct not so much the physical satellites, because we have enough of them now not to need to change their course. They do have ion drives, believe it or not, which just is so Blake 7, it's unreal. So we can change the orbit, but we don't need to generally, because what we can do, to your point about precision earlier, is we can zoom in and out with the radar to take big wide images at lower fidelity or very narrow images and to get really accurate measurement or not, depending on the particular task we send them to do. And for any listeners who are non-UK based and probably not over 40, <laughs> Blake 7 is a typical UK BBC low-budget sci-fi adventure, which was very successful for people of a certain age, and Stephen and I are now ageing ourselves by mentioning it. <laughs> so yeah, think Star Trek kind yes. of. But more, lower, budget. lower budget. Lower budget. You're a really sophisticated company. 
How dependent are you on the insurance industry becoming more sophisticated and being able to understand some of this output that you're putting out? That's a great question. I mean, one of the reasons that we are focusing on solutions, if you like, rather than just handing over data is because, like you, I love the insurance industry. There are loads of smart people doing smart things with insurance. And what we want to do is give them as much support as possible, taking the measurement and the monitoring that we're capable of doing and really just dropping it into business process as simply as possible for them. So the example I described of flood, you know, they don't need to be monitoring the weather. We are. They don't need to be able to say, where do we think the event's going to happen? We are. And then we're not just providing them the measurement data from space. We're providing them the extent of the water, the depth of the water. We're combining that with their property data, or they can, we can, they can, in order to say that building there, what was the water level around the perimeter of that building? Now, we're working with partners to say, here's what we know about that building's construction. How many floors does it have? What's the ground floor level? What then does that mean the water is likely to have done to that building? And then, of course, we're working with other partners to say, so how much damage do we think there will have been and how does that turn into financial loss? So to your point, do we need the sophistication of the insurance industry and the businesses we work with? We welcome it because it stretches our thinking, but we want to do as much as we can to make our stuff as readily consumable by the industry to do innovative insurance stuff as possible. So you want to make sure you're speaking insurance language, make it really easy for them to ingest all this stuff. Absolutely. ISI has a team of people from the insurance industry uh, by background who know enough about the industry to be dangerous, if you like, working with our customers to identify opportunity. But really, it takes the partnership between ISI and the customer to really stretch the use case. And then we solutionize it. We were talking about parametrics. You can create the data that's going to create the indices that is going to inform that parameter, that yes or no type parameter for parametrics. Obviously, I had Descartes on the show recently, and certainly they've very much put all their chips on parametric as being the future of commercial insurance, I think is what they would have said. Are you in that camp or are you more agnostic? Do you think it doesn't really matter? Because it could work for indemnity as well. Absolutely. I would say passionately agnostic. I'll leave it to the industry to work out whether you end up landing on one or the other. My guess is both and hybrid. And I think from an ISI perspective, we're here to enable innovators doing their stuff. Obviously, in the parametric space, we are very well suited to providing that trigger. And we are actively working with a load of different organizations who are thinking about different ways of providing commercial lines insurance, personal cover, filling some of that coverage gap that we're already aware of. So that's exciting. But also what we're able to do around more traditional indemnity style insurance, where we can help people to understand how perils can affect properties, you know, using some of our historical stuff that helps with underwriting in a traditional way. We can help with claims in a traditional way. So long live both sides of the industry there. You don't have to take a side though. No, we definitely don't have to and we definitely won't. And again, we're in an era when a lot of businesses that are intermediary type businesses are going into insurance themselves. Would that ever be part of the model? Or should we give everyone comfort that you will stay an independent data and intelligence provider? Do you know, I've had that question a few times recently. I think they're... Because if you have better data than everyone else, maybe you can become a better underwriter than everyone else and you can outcompete them. Well, we've got better data in the space, no pun intended, that we collect that data and the analytics that we do with multiple data sources. I mean, that is a key thing for us. It's not just the space stuff. 
we combine all sorts of data to provide what we provide. But there's no aspiration really to become an MGA or an underwriter or to go any further into it than that. I think there is plenty for us to do enabling those insurance brains around the industry. I think there's a lot to do with that participation model already, I think, Mark. Obviously, you really are in the future. This is kind of sci-fi of insurance. You're right at the cutting edge of all this stuff. What sort of products do you think this is going to be able to enable in you know, five or 10 years' time? Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about parametric. That's obvious now. I think the use cases in support of traditional insurance, you know, enabling better underwriting, enabling better management of claims and response to events, optimizing reserves and that kind of stuff. We'll continue to do more of that. The bit that gets me very excited is that what I described earlier as persistent monitoring. And that is something that the ISI constellation is uniquely capable of doing because of that thing I mentioned of passing over the same point accurately. We call it ground track repeat. And you can't do this unless you've got sufficient satellite and you can control it yourself. So we go over the same very specific point on Earth multiple times a day and in spot mode, various different scan, strip, spot. In spot mode, we can measure down to millimetre style precision and we can look at an asset and for a, a risk engineer, for somebody who's trying to understand what's happening with an asset that they are insuring or managing, that capability we've only really scratched the surface with because it's so new. It's only when we've got enough satellite, if you like, up there. So, you know, I think new products, parametric definitely, more support and more sophisticated support of existing products, but really getting into that sort of risk management, risk mitigation, avoiding a loss by spotting something that's happening, spotting something that is a threat to an asset or a change in an asset. So do you think the trend will be to start predicting the future? At this point, I suppose you're seeing a trend and you're thinking, well, if this keeps going, I, a dam keeps subsiding, it's yeah. going to collapse, right? Well, yeah. So we, I mean, I hesitate a little bit about predicting the future because it just sounds a little bit to see a trend and then think and leave it to someone else. And we do. Look, one of the original things that the business did with the technology was look at ice. So ice eye, clues in the name. And that was more about, you know, how the seas were opening up or closing as, as winter came down in the northern oceans. But we are able to monitor formations of ice and snow that might be ahead of an avalanche event, for example. Moving back to the asset monitoring of an insured asset, we'd been persistently monitoring an array of solar panels on the top of a tower block in Japan. So we can see movement in the individual panels that make up the array, which can be the result of damage or not, but can definitely impact the amount of energy that is produced by that panel. So nobody needs to get up there now with a meter rule and measure what's happening because we can just tell them. We can tell them if something's changing. And that's, as I say, scratching now the surface. Now they'll go up with a spanner because they know what's wrong. They need to adjust something. Yeah, exactly. In the same way that after a catastrophe event, if you are, like we have been in Australia recently, if you're measuring events that have very wide geographical coverage, but also really significant impact in particular points, then you just can't deal with that using a drone or even aeroplane coverage or sending people out with depth gauges physically. You know, you need something that can go wide and then really, really deep and detailed. And that's the kind of capability that the satellites give you. Is there anything that you can't do that you have to rule out? I think as we look at the different catastrophes, we are constrained to a degree by the data sources that we rely on 
We treat the satellite stuff, the SAR stuff, as kind of the keystone of the analysis. So the reason that we have got so advanced with flood is it's kind of the perfect hazard for us because there are, generally speaking, good terrain models and digital elevation models and so on in the places that have insurance that we want to measure. So there's a good starting point there. And there are river gauges around the place and other flood gauges around the place. And when there is a flood, people will take a photograph of it on their phone and post it on social media. So for that particular type of peril stroke hazard, the space stuff is really good at the data that it brings. And there's a lot of other data out there. We strip social media imagery and we associate it with a latitude and a longitude. And we use the imagery to verify what the satellites are telling us. And they enable us just to trim a little bit and make sure that we can kind of triangulate and see what's really happening. So for flood, that's great. Hailstones, a little bit harder to handle. So we are actively working on how we can see damage from hail, but it's harder to predict. And then it's harder to measure when it happens. Floods that are general floods, if I dare say that, are much easier to handle than tsunami because you don't get a lot of warning for a tsunami. So we can see what's happening stroke happen, but we can't tell the satellites what to do with the same level of notice. So we don't get such good data. So you there can't are, see the bottom of the ocean yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are sort of currently practical limitations. What we are finding is that there are useful additional data sets popping up all the time. So we have, I mentioned the meteorologists. We also have people whose job title is data scout. And they are literally spending all their time, it's their job, looking for new sources of data that we can weave into our stuff as part of creating solutions for insurance. How far off do you think, or is it already here, the time when you can just adjust a claim without a physical adjuster having to go? Yeah, this is a great question. I mean, I guess parametric is an example of that kind of thing, but with, within constraints. I mean, from the indemnity-based insurance perspective, then... We can tell you if you can't see the house anymore in a flood. Now, that's a pretty good indication of a complete loss. Things become more subtle when water levels are not as high, but where there is damage. And I think we are working with customers who are making provisional payments because they know there's been a loss. We are working with customers who make full payments where they know there's been enough evidence of that. We're working with customers to verify a declaration from a customer with some degree of evidence and a lat long that we can verify the water depth. So there are an increasing number of cases where you can be confident enough that you don't need to go and do a physical investigation. You know, being a bit of a claims enthusiast for years in the past, my sense is there will always be cases out there that require somebody to go and have a look for one reason or another unless the product is structured such that you don't. I suppose if you've had the ground floor flooded, but your neighbour may have been prescient and put the TV and all the other white goods up on the first floor. Absolutely. And then it got up to a metre high or whatever in the ground floor in the living room, and they put the sofa up on stilts or whatever. And, but, but if you didn't do that, of course, then your loss is going to be greater than it, theirs. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, there are lots of things we can do to enable the insurance products that are out there today. But I think as people start to understand what you can and can't do with this sort of data, there will be more definition of products that relate to what you can measure without having to get out there and have a look. So there will be a kind of a continual synthesis, I think, of it. I suppose as a homeowner, if you know you have a metre flood product, you better get your stuff above a metre. 
Yes. Well, you really want to help. Is, yes. Or, is, or just chuck it below at me so, and, you know, and just say, well, I'm going to get the payout now. But, yes. But, yes. Well, okay. So <laughs> no, there's, the, the moral, there, I can't, there's nothing we can do from space to help with morals. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as I say, you know, there's going to be a synthesis here of what can you measure? What do you trust your customers with? How do you want to create products that enable you to do good stuff for them that is also commercially sensible? And final question. How do you think this is going to change the way the industry works and how it approaches risk? Do you think it's going to be a good thing? Are we going to end up with more insurable stuff, things that we can't touch at the moment? Things that we can't touch. I mean, they're uh, too difficult. Again, back to my point that what the technology that we have currently is best at is measuring stuff that moves and monitoring it. So I think for me, there will be a huge amount of change around how the insurance industry uses that capability. I've mentioned the asset monitoring, you know, catastrophe response, claims, underwriting, and so on. So there'll be a lot of change in that. I think stuff that we can't see, less easy to detect using our technology, to be honest. So I think it's a very exciting time for the industry. I think the parametric is an extreme example of new products that are enabled in a different way to provide some cover that might have been difficult to arrange before. So that kind of product innovation coupled with the kind of insights that we can provide, I think there'll be lots of change. And of course, with what you've got so far, you've got a huge amount to do. You were really scratching the surface, you were saying. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, no. As I say, we've got plenty of data and plenty of engagement with various different types of enterprise in the insurance industry. There's lots going on, but we'll be launching more satellites. We'll be monitoring more assets. So lots to do. And of course, your, your historical record goes back quite long way already. Yes, yes. We've got plenty of historical events that we've measured. I mean, that only gets richer every time because the floods that we have been working on and, and are actively working on right now, actually, in Australia, we have pointed so much more satellite capacity and so much more imagery has been taken, combined with so much more sophistication of other data sets. But what we're doing this year is way more detailed and extensive than what we were capable of doing with the last flood that hit Japan, for example, or Ida, or we did some great analysis in British Columbia of a really big event there. But, you know, that was last year. This year, it's just way more granular and, and detailed. So your capability is still growing? Yeah, with every additional set of, you know, not eyes aren't the right word, every set of antenna that are pointing at the planet and every further application of our machine learning and AI capabilities, which are absolutely critical, do the number crunching because, of course, our customers rely on us, not just taking the imagery and doing the data crunching, but getting the insight that flows from that to them really quickly. People can't do that. That's got to be enabled by the computers. Excellent. Well, Stephen, before we go, how do people get in touch with you? Isai.com. My details, which I'm sure you'll post in the, in the comments. In the notes. You know, we have an increasing team, as I said, of insurance people. And we are having some exciting conversations. Love for any of your subscribers to get in touch, of course. Stephen, thank you so much. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, the industry's never had a kind of private array of satellites at its disposal before. So that's a first. I wish you all the best with that. And good luck with all what you're doing, because it seems like this huge ramp of growth up ahead. Definitely. Thanks very much, Mark. Great to speak with you. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. 
Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.